step on up, sit down, twist off that bottle top, or crack open that can. And welcome to Porch Matters. This is Terry Cagle coming to you from my back porch. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. The name of this show is Authentic. On Porch Matters, our saying is this. Big issues or just a friendly conversation. No topic is off limits. We take pride in being able to talk about anything with each other in an open discussion. Open discussion is one of the only ways to learn. Your perspective could be changed. You could change the perspective of others. Friends and family, welcome to another episode of Porch Matters. I'm glad you're here. I hope everyone's had a real good couple of weeks. The weather seems to be taking a turn for the better. Weeds are growing like crazy in my yard. As soon as I get the lawnmower cranked up, the allergies are going to be killing me. Soon the dibbidees will be flying around. What's a dibbidee? Well, my cousin Alex used to call the bumblebees that flew around the house during the springtime and everything dibbidees whenever she was really little. Since then, that's all I've called them to. Alex, if you're listening to this, I love you, baby girl. For the Porch Matters Food Review... Last week, my mom and I drove up to Coleman, where I work, and we drove up I-65 up to O'Brien's Family Steakhouse in Hartsville, Alabama. It's one of our favorite places to eat. I took Stacy there for our first date. First time I ever met Stacy's parents was there. So I guess you can say that I really like the place. They have a fantastic steak there that's affordable even in rough times like these, and they also have one fantastic salad bar. I can't recommend O'Brien's enough. If you're looking for a nice place to go on date night or a place to meet the parents or just somewhere to have a family get together, give O'Brien's and Hartzell a shot. O'Brien's is definitely hashtag fat boy approved. Speaking of hashtag fat boy approved, was able to go up with Stacy and Xander to the Jim Swan Gym in Jasper last night to watch New Era Wrestling. We had a great time watching the matches. Former ECW heavyweight champion Rhino was there. I was able to see some old friends and meet some new ones. Shout out to Billy Vines and Philip Robinson if you're listening. It was good seeing y'all again, guys. My friend and friend of the show, James Phillips, is an owner of the company. He's been a guest on the show previously. If you haven't, if you've missed that episode or you're a new listener and haven't heard it yet, Go back in our archives and listen to it. Due to health issues, he wasn't able to be in attendance, but it was still a real good show. If you happen to be a wrestling fan and live in the Jasper area, give New Era Wrestling Alabama a follow on Facebook and try to attend the show or subscribe to the YouTube channel. I think you'd really enjoy the product. I got a new thing this week that I would really like to start doing every episode, and I'd love to have your participation on social media. In past episodes, I've enjoyed asking would-you-rather questions to guests on the show. Now, I'd like to ask you, my friends and family, these questions as well. Question will be posted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll ask a new question each episode and give my answer. Then, the next episode, I'll read your answers and then ask another question. This episode, the question is, Would you rather work your dream job for a low salary or work a job you hate for a high salary? My opinion, this one's a little bit tricky right out of the box. 
Always heard if you was doing something you love, it's never a job. If you're doing something that you hate, that high salary can help push you through for a while. But burnout is very real. It's just a matter of time before you self-destruct. Same time, sometimes doing what you love don't bring in enough money to pay the bills. That job you hate could get you where you want to be financially to be able to afford a better car, house, etc. On this one, I'm going to have to go with work your dream job for a low salary, though. I'm really looking forward to seeing your answers. On this episode, Dave Thomas comes on the porch. He is a former representative in the Alabama House. He is the current mayor of Springville, Alabama, and... He is running for governor of the state of Alabama. Dave talks about his early days, what got him into politics, what brought him back into politics to become mayor, why he feels like he is the man for the job as governor of Alabama, what he wants to do if he's elected, and why he enjoys jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. (laughs) Thank you for the conversation, Dave, and I'm really looking forward to doing it again soon, sir. Without further ado, let's get started. Dave Thomas, welcome to the porch, my friend. How are you, sir? Doing well, very well. Better than I deserve, thankfully. How are you? Any better? I don't guess I could stand it. That seems to be <laughs> that, that seems that <laughs> seems to be my number one answer on that. It can go positive or it could go negative. It's one of those glass half empty, glass half full things. Yeah, I got I sometimes get some looks when I say better than I deserve. So I follow up uh, usually with, you know, if we all got we des- what we deserve, we'd all be in trouble. And then they're, they, you know, they put the two and two together, the light, eyes light up. They go, oh, well, you're right. That's exactly uh, better than I deserve. Uh, <laughs> thankfully. You thankfully enjoy, so. You enjoying this rainy weather today? Uh, well, I'd, I'd say that I could do without it, but, uh, quite literally we can't, we need the rain too. So, uh, I could do without the colder temperatures. I don't mind the rain so much, but, uh, I'm getting to an age where the cold starts to affect my, <laughs> my joints a little bit. Um, but you know, need these showers for those flowers. So it's all good. We'll take it. We're in that part of the year where we get all four seasons in one day and then we're <laughs> <laughs> right here, here in the- here in a few weeks, we ain't going to be able to see nothing but yellow. So it's it, all good. Oh, so true. So true. <laughs> so I don't know that much about you, my friend. And I, just an honest, honest observation and an honest statement. Have you lived in Alabama all your life? Pretty much all my life. I was actually born in 1965 in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm the oldest of three boys, and when I was four, well, let me back up. When my father was 29, he died and uh, left a 24-year-old widowed mother of three, the oldest four, which was me. My middle brother, Robert, he was two, and Doug, the baby, was six months. And so um, mom decided that um, she needed to relocate and get away from all the painful memories and images, reminders, and, and, uh, you know, of our personal tragedy. So she picked up and moved to Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> and 
we bounced back and forth a couple of times, but uh, finally put down roots, I guess, in 1974. I think it was 74. Yeah, so I've been, been in Alabama since 1974. Pretty much all my life, but was uh, am not a born and raised native, you know. Uh, transplant just like here in Springville, but uh, been here in Springville for 30 years. So the old guard has embraced us as one of their own, um, which they did not do uh, when we first moved here. And I ran for the legislature. I'd only been, we'd only been here in Springville for three years. So uh, it was kind of difficult to get support from the old guard, but uh, we were successful back then. And, and when I ran for mayor, uh, a couple of years ago, the uh, the old guard embraced us and uh, helped push us across the victory line. So, um, yeah, uh, may not may not be native to Alabama, but it's certainly been home and call it home and have for quite some time. Love it. There's something about that old guard, and it, even where I live right now, there's and I, and I'm not knocking any of them by any stretch of the imagination, but right there where I 22 goes across, it's almost mm-hmm. like a border and it's mm-hmm. almost like a whole nother world, good, right. bad, or indifferent. We, uh, I, there's a city or a little town in Walker County called Cordova, mm-hmm. uh, parish Oakman, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. area. They don't, they don't take to outsiders too well. Right. Uh, even, <laughs> even, you know, I, I'm born and raised right here. But you know they don't know me, so right. I can. Right. Last time I I went down there, I went down to the Piggly Wiggly, and you remember the old Western scene, and every and every one of them were inside the bar and er, er, the everything inside the bar. You know your piano players playing, you got drinks pouring up all over the place, you got people swinging from the chandeliers. It's just a huge party, right? Then all of a sudden that stranger comes walking through the front doors and everything just stops. Yeah. You can hear a pin drop, right? All eyes are on the stranger. (laughs) I have had that happen about every other time I go to Cordova. Good, bad, or indifferent. Don't know if it's just because of my size or if it's just the fact that I'm a stranger. Yeah. Well, you know, we live here in town and, uh, uh, I grew up out in the country where we could not see our neighbors and, and Mm. here in Springville, well, well, we're in town, so neighbors are right there on top of one another. And, you know, like you said, good, bad, and different, uh, you know, every, every coin has three sides, head, to, heads, tails, and the rim. Yes, sir. So, uh, anyhow, I had somebody visiting and it didn't take long before the phone started to ring. Well, we got nosy neighbors and it's, it's a good thing to have sometimes, you know, we don't want them going to meddling. <laughs> but it's nice having folks that, uh, you know, will turn a head, raise an eyebrow and question why, why, why am I seeing what I'm seeing? If it's not what I'm used to seeing, you know, as opposed to just turning a blind eye and walking on past, I'd much rather have nosy neighbors, and concerned citizens than the not quite frankly, but, um, anyhow, yeah, it, uh, it's not unique. Not to Walker County or St. Clair County or anywhere in the world, really. It just depends on what side of the mountain or what side of the interstate, what side of the tracks, whatever it is that's it. that divides us. And and that's one of the things that really I, I'm hoping to show the Alabama voters. Uh, you know, we, 
we've got a campaign, a message that offers optimism and unity, something that um, we can rally around. Whether you agree with the specifics of, um, of the platform, uh, with, and namely whether it's gaming or, or cannabis or really, quite frankly, any other issue, um, when you get down to the, the, the brass tacks of it all, if you will, it's about defending and fighting for your liberty, my liberty, your freedom, my fr- freedom, and uh, holding each other accountable, being responsible. And so uh, hopefully that's exactly what people are going to hear, see, and, and rally around. As I told one, one reporter, I said, you know, the, the, the other campaigns, perhaps not all of them, but certainly the, the most visual campaigns, those who have the deepest pockets, pockets and the, the most money to throw around for ads and, and such, well, they're going negative, spreading fear. And, uh, you know, that, that's worked in the past. That's why they keep doing it. People say they hate negative campaigns. I think people love to hate negative campaigns. I know. But the do. reason. Right. But 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 the reason campaigns continue to, to engage in those tactics is because it's effective. But I think this year we're going to see uh, things really turned on their head. I don't, I don't think the conventional wisdom is going to hold up uh, or conventional thinking, uh, the conventional tactics. I think people have had enough more than enough of the sky is falling and we're all going to die message that we've been hearing for the last couple of years. And uh, I just think it's going to come up short for those candidates who are peddling that same sort of propaganda, that same sort of fear mongering Um, people have just had enough of it and they see through it. Thankfully. So, so I, I, I think you'll, you'll get a whole lot more accomplished if you give somebody a reason to rally, a light to rally around, as opposed to trying to snuff out lights and spread the darkness. I think everybody can, can appreciate that, that message. I hope. Going back to what you were saying a few months ago, you know, where I, where I live, it's a close knit community. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I was growing up, my grandparents lived right next door. Right down the road was my uncle right down, literally right next door to him is the house that my great grandparents lived in. My great aunt lives in now right down the road is my, where my cousin lives. We used to, we used to talk about how my, our grandparents was, you know, head of the neighborhood watch. Every time a car would go down the road, they'd always have their blinds open. Anytime time mm-hmm. one go down the road and they didn't recognize who's that. <laughs> That's, right. That's but, right. But to go with what you're saying, f- folks, just so you know, and I didn't give a proper introduction for that. I apologize, sir. Mr. Dave Thomas happens to be running for governor of the state of Alabama in this coming election. Uh, Mr. Thomas, right. when, when, yep. is, when is the, uh, when is the primary? The primary is May 24th, um, all across the state from seven to seven. Um, but, uh, and I'm sorry to have jumped ahead a little bit, but, uh, you had asked, you know, a little bit about my background, uh, where I'm from and that sort of thing. So, uh, um, I guess to back up just a little bit. So we find ourselves in Alabama. I grew up in Shelby County, um, <clears throat> like most teens. I couldn't wait to grow up and move out and get on with my life. But, um, well, life started, uh, adulthood started a little early for 
my wife and myself. Uh, I got married at 17, a father at 18. In fact, uh, my daughter was born 8.46 a.m. the very same day that I was graduating from high school that evening at 7.30. And um, while my, my classmates were getting their diplomas walking the stage, uh, my wife and I were sharing a champagne and steak dinner with our brand new baby girl. Uh, we worked our way through college. Um, one of the smartest things I ever did was marry valedictorian. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, uh, smart girl. Uh, so anyway, we, we made it through school, um, uh, lived with my mother-in-law for five years, finished high school, get through college and took care of an eight acre, uh, homestead and family worked three part-time jobs, took a full academic load and finished on time and went to work. Um, grew up real fast. And, that's you know, a, did, a lot. did what that's we had a, to do. That's a lot. Yeah, of, that, that, that's, that's a lot, a lot of weight on a 17-year-old's plate. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, um, a but, you know, I'm firstborn, so <laughs> I'm somewhat uh, accustomed to it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I recall. I, I don't remember who it was, but uh, as a four-year-old, um, you know, I really didn't understand what was going on with, with everybody at our house when my father died. But I remember somebody getting in my face and telling me, well, you're the man of the house now. That's a, that's quite something to tell a four-year-old. Um, and I, mm. I, I think it kind of stuck with me. But, um, you know, I've always been told that I was more mature for my age. And I, I ran with an older crowd. And, Same. Well, I got an early start, you know, on marriage. And, you know, my, my friends going through college, they were from high school, uh, many of whom went to Montevallo as well. They're, they'd call up and say, Hey man, you know, let's go play some golf. Let's go drink on bar hopping and whatnot. Just, dude, I, it's, I've got class. I've got work. I've got study, got a family, got a farm. I got to <laughs> sleep know. sometime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, time for stuff like that. But then, you know, fast forward a few years and well, you know, my family's a little bit older than theirs. I call them up and say, Hey man, you want to go slap some golf balls or whatnot? Uh, I got to pick up kids from school. I got to go. Yep, I was there, you know, sort of thing. So it's just kind of funny. But, um, yeah, we we did the deal. And, and like I said, we both grew up in Shelby County. Uh, my wife's from Calera, and we couldn't wait to move to Birmingham. Bright lights, big city, you know. Um, and after, I guess it was about three years in Birmingham, we, we decided we, we really preferred that smaller town, quiet community. I guarantee uh, and you. We found, yep, and we found Springville. And, um, funny little side story, uh, bouncing a bit, forgive me, but, uh, when no my daughter, my oldest child, when she, uh, finished high school, she couldn't wait to leave this one horse podunk little town. And she did. And it didn't take long after moving into the townhouses in Grayson Valley that she wanted to come back home to Springville, but she, she called, she said, daddy, I can't afford it. I said, I know, save your money, go to work girl. And, uh, she did, she and her husband and, and, uh, they moved back to the area, but they had to move a little bit out of town, which they preferred anyway. Um, but they were able to move back to Springville, and she too learned to appreciate the, the small town, close knit community uh, that we've loved and enjoyed for thirty years, thirty one years now. But um, anyhow, so uh, yeah, we found found Springville and um, uh, spent the first year living here, just trying to you know, pay attention and find out who's doing what, how things are getting done in, in town. I was very fortunate growing up that, um, my parents were involved with our education. And so, um, you know, they kind of instilled that in their boys. And I took that would be to 
raise my family. And so the last PTO meeting of the year, like a good Baptist to sat on the back row and as the meeting was getting ready to wind up, I thought, well, it's now or never. So I raised my hand and uh, they called on me and I, I raised a couple of concerns. I said that uh, we've got this fundraiser called King and Queen. Each uh, boy and girl in each class, whoever raised the most money was crowned King and Queen. Popularity contest. Uh, well, nah, yeah, right. And I said, well, you know, first of all, it sends the wrong message to our children. And secondly, it's, it's, it's an ineffective fundraiser. My nephew got it the year before for a nickel. I mean, it just, we, we can do better. We, we, a nickel. And he was crowned <laughs> king of his class. So, you know, it was an ineffective fundraiser. And I told the, the principal, I said, you know, I got a mouthful of fillings and a closet full of <clears throat> wrapping paper. We don't need candy or wrapping paper or split the, you know, whatever money we can raise with a company. We just need to. Anyway, this lady on the front row stood up and turned around and said, who are you? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a concerned father, <clears throat> you know. And uh, so anyway, wound up the next year uh, becoming PTO president, served in that capacity for a couple of years, and then was going to run for the Board of Education because our board member, uh, Bucky Wade, was getting ready to retire. And, you know, like, well, it's just not uncommon. They'd, they'd like to pass the torch, you know, endorse someone that uh, they'd like to see assume the position. Right. And, uh so I had uh, talked to Bucky and I was going to get his endorsement. I was going to run for the board of education. And I had um, reached out to a, a former co-worker's husband who was up to his eyeballs politics, always has been, still is. Um, his name is Jack Williams. And uh, anyway, I called Jack and I said, um, can you help me? run a campaign. I don't know anything about it. And he said, well, yeah, but you know, have you paid the qualifying fee? And There's I said, always no, it's always qualifying fee. Yeah. It was $72. And, and I just didn't have $72 lying around. I hadn't done it. I was going to have to take it out of savings, you know? And he said, well, would you consider running for the legislature instead of the board of education? And I said, I don't know. You know, I got to talk to my wife, got to talk to my boss, got to pray about it. You know, I don't know what's qualifying fee. He said, $500. I said, Jack, you're not listening. <laughs> I don't, I don't have city two lying around much less 500. he said, well, if I can, you know, raise the qualifying fee, would you run? I said, well, again, you know, a lot of doors have got to open and close and long story short, every door that needed to close was closed and every door that needed to be open was open. And it was just amazing. And so, uh, wound up running for the legislature and, um, unseated a third generation his granddaddy had served was appointed to the bench retired his daddy served was appointed to the bench retired this gentleman was 15 years older than me an attorney in lockstep with the governor you see the pattern here you know mm -hmm. looking for that appointment to the bench and and here comes this 29 year old quote-unquote kid from the wrong part of the county <clears throat> didn't have a snowball's chance which is why no other Republican qualified. I didn't have a primary and no Democrat qualified against him. I mean, he was untouchable, unbeatable. Right. right? And uh, so I had a straight shot to the big dance in November and we beat him by 6% on a shoestring budget, got outspent three to one and right. still managed to, uh, yeah, it, we <laughs> left a lot of chins on the floor. Uh, Jack Williams, you know, the, the guy who helped put it all together. He said, you did everything right. I just didn't know how to tell you you were going to lose. And mm. I, we didn't lose. <laughs> so um, spent, you know, the, the, the first term, um, uh, 
learning and again, paying attention and, and getting involved and that sort of thing. But because I wasn't part of anyone's inner circle, um, I was on the outside looking at, which I prefer the view. It was fine. Uh, they came after me with everything, including the kitchen sink um, in 98 when I ran for reelection. And so um, I barely held on. I, I've got a photo, some photographs um, that I'm using in this bid for governor just to show what happened here in St. Clair County. They, when the absentee boxes are secured, when the absentee voting has concluded, the poll workers will autograph the security tape and wrap the boxes. There's a small door in the front. The ballot goes in. There's a big door on the back. They retrieve the ballots. Well, the security tape had been tampered with, had been torn, cut, removed in some places. Uh, the boxes had been sitting in the circuit clerk's safe. And she was getting ready to retire. So she decided to take a couple of weeks vacation or, well, I should say a week's day, whatever. She took vacation a couple of weeks before the election. Just so randomly boxes, during, the, during the election. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the boxes were left unsecured in the safe. And, well, don't know who, just know someone tampered with the boxes. They were trying to get the boxes thrown out because they were from Moody, which is a Republican stronghold. And the probate judge and the um, oh circuit clerk, uh, were the two remaining Democrats in St. Clair County at the time. <clears throat> so yeah, draw your own conclusions, but you know, the, I have a genuine fire in the belly for honest elections in Alabama because they, you know, somebody tried to steal the election from the, the, the voters in St. Clair County. And uh, that did not sit well with me, but thankfully we, we were able to count the ballots. Uh, Bill Pryor was the AG at the time. And, um, he, he ruled that, yes, we were going to count the ballot. So we actually widened the margin just a little bit. And I served another term. And, uh, you know, I just felt like if somebody comes after you long enough and hard enough, they'll get you eventually. And so I thought, well, when am I ever going to have another opportunity? So I decided rather than running for reelection in 2002, I ran for secretary of state. And um, it was a three-way race, Troy King, Dean Young, and myself. Dean Young our paths are crossing again, running for statewide office. So anyway, made it through the, the primary, the runoff and faced off against Nancy Worley and Dr. Paul Hubbard and the AEA political machine and lost by less than one tenth of 1%. It was closer than the Riley Siegelman race. One mm. vote per precinct would have changed the out, outcome. Wow. So if somebody, yeah, somebody tells me, Hey, I don't vote because my vote doesn't count. I have a story I share with them. You know, uh, that's close every, enough for a runoff, isn't it? Well, Alabama didn't have a runoff uh, law on the books at the time. We do now, as a result. Um, and, now, and, and you know, yeah, now it's anything, isn't it? Anything less than fifty percent? Forgive me if I'm wrong. Oh no, 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 somewhere no, no, around no. in there, or no, is that no, just... no, no, for a, not for the runoff. Excuse me, for a recount. Okay. We didn't have a recount. We we, we had to re uh, excuse me runoff, but not a recount. We now have a recount provision. I forgot what the margin is. It's you know razor close. The mm -hmm. it automatically triggers a recount, um, but we didn't have one at the time. So, long story short, I had quite frankly enough of um, the shenanigans, the being lied to, the being run over, and. And just the nature of it all. Um, I had a young family 
and I felt like it was uh, it was in my best interest to to focus on my family, raising my family. You know, it, it's often said, but I'm I'm not sure how much it's actually heard and listened to. But you know, for those of us in public office, you know, yeah, we're we're doing the heavy lifting, but we're also enjoying all the, the, the fun of it all. But uh, families are the ones who actually pay the heaviest price. Right. Just like when I ran for secretary of state, you know, I, I just felt like I was taking a bunch of road trips. It was a lot of fun to me to go meet new people and you know travel the state. Well, the family had different feelings. They felt like I was gone constantly, that I campaigned really hard. I didn't feel like I campaigned all that hard, truth be told. Um, but they felt otherwise. So my point being, again, you know, they're the ones who pay the biggest price. And I just wasn't willing to throw my family under the bus just for political pursuits. So I uh, got out of politics and started a business and raised my family. And 20 years later, the family's grown and business is fine. And we had a somewhat of a local tyrant as mayor that um, it had just, I guess, gone to his head. When, when you get to the point where you're wagging your finger in people's faces in their own front yards and cussing them out, and <laughs> it, maybe it's time to go um, pursue other interests. Um, but yeah. nobody wanted to take him off. You know, so I thought, well, hey, been there, done that, taking on much meaner sharks with sharper teeth than this guy. So anyway, we beat him by more than two to one and um, sent him packing. And then, um, you know, as we got into that job and got back into politics and, you know, what's going on? Because when I got out, I mean, I really got out. I I didn't read the newspaper, didn't watch the news, canceled cable, satellite. We were off the grid, as it were, so to speak, as far as news and current events and pop culture and all that kind of good stuff. So now we're back in it and uh, looking around and I see, well, who's lining up to run for governor? It's the same old career politicians, the same old self-proclaimed Alabama's elite, the wealthy, you know, no, no, no. I, I, I remember even way back when as a young man being disappointed that, you know, no one stood up and stepped forward with a modicum of common sense to speak for the common man, common man and woman, you know, the little guy. I am the little guy. I don't have to stand up for the little guy without standing up for myself. I am the little guy. Right. So I'm, I'm just scratching my head going to who, who's going to do this? I, well, apparently I am. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just found myself in a position where I could be the one to actually stand up and step forward. I mean, I've got the legislative experience. I've got the business experience. I've got uh, um, experience as mayor, even though it's limited, but nonetheless, CEO of the city of Springville, uh, president and CEO of my contracting business for over 25 years now. Well, 20 years in that one and five in another, but um, you know, gotten to that age, 56, soon to be 57. I mean, I think I've got a, a little bit of life experience to bring to the table, some legislative experience, some, some, you know, other experiences to, to qualify as a legitimate candidate to seek the governorship of Alabama and hopefully do something extraordinary, if not amazing with the people of Alabama. You know, all these other candidates, they talk about what they want to do for Alabama. You know, quite frankly, I'm not looking for anybody to do anything for me. 
but if you want to partner up and let's do something together, that, that, that kind of gets the juices flowing. You know, I'm not looking for a handout or even a hand up for that matter. Um, but if you want to get hand in hand, arm in arm, and let's, you know, climb the mountain, conquer the world. Now you're talking my language. Let's do it. Um, well, I do got, but one, I, I do got sure. one question for you. What, what was the driving force other than somebody's just got to do something that might as well be me. There had to be some kind of a love or some kind of a passion for you to want to get into it in the first place. Well, I guess let me back up by saying, you know, how opposites attract my wife and I are opposites in many, many respects. She can't stand politics or politicians, and yet she's married to one. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I it kind of gets in your blood. Um, you know, when I first got elected to the legislature, my daughter was 12 years old, and she was going to go to law school. She's going to become a judge, become governor, become president. And then Perry came along. And it was all about Perry this and Perry that. And law school went out the window. And politics went out the window. She wasn't quite as infected as I was. Uh, I just loved it. But then as they like to remind me, I'm not right in the head. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just like being involved in, in, in something that's real, something that's impactful. Um, as they say, you know, the dash. Everybody's got a birthday. We, we, most of us know our birthdays. None of us know our, our end date, but uh, we all got that dash. And what are you going to do in that dash? I've, I've met with economic developers, millionaires, and even billionaires. And I've sat there and said, you know, look, guys, you've, you've made your legacy wealth. I'm, I'm not interested in just adding another zero to your bottom line. I want to work with somebody who has a greater vision for being impactful. Not to just, you know, today and tomorrow, but tomorrow's tomorrow and beyond. Well, for example, here in Springville, we're growing like crazy. Yes, and our infrastructure is unable to keep up with it. So our, our sewer is not quite, our sewer system is not quite at capacity, but it, it won't take long and it will be. And I'd rather get out in front of the problem than behind it. So while it's not sexy or glamorous, it's, it's responsible. And if we do this right, we can serve the needs of this community for the next 50 or 60 years, Absolutely. not just putting out fires every time we turn around, you know, and, and that's part of being responsible. Um, and so it, as far as the, the motivation to, to run for governor, again, quite frankly, you know, just seeing the, the same thing we've always seem to get you know as they say if you do the same thing you've always done you'll get the same thing you've always got right. and no one no one is embracing the platform that i've presented um for whatever reason and we know what those are they're political they're more concerned about their political longevity than doing what's right by the people of alabama um and so yeah um i've been a, a cannabis user all of my adult life um, and if it's, if it's a gateway or a destroyer of lives, uh, please tell me how it's destroyed my life or been my ruination or been a gateway to narcotics. I can't stand pharmaceuticals and, and even over the counter medications. Um, just can't stand them. I, I prefer a, a more holistic, natural approach. 
to my health care. And quite frankly, that should be a decision that I get to make for myself without asking for permission from anyone. Same for you and everybody else, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we're adults. We're capable of making adult decisions. In today's information age, all the information that you ever want or need is at your fingertips. So you know you can make informed decisions. But the bottom line is you should be able to make those decisions for yourself. Um, your liberty is not granted by anybody else, not even Uncle Sam. <laughs> no, that was that was given to you by your creator. And Absolutely. Um, so anyway, that's where I come down on that, that that issue. But um, it was nope. just uh, again, you know, if 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 not now, when? If if not me, who? I mean, nobody else. Just like with the mayor's race, nobody else was stepping up to to take on the eight hundred pound gorilla. You know, nobody else was stepping up and stepping forward to say, "Hey, enough is enough. It's time to put down the propaganda of the past and, and let's be honest with one another and, and and smart about our decisions." You know, I did get some criticism, very little, but I did get some criticism when I first made the announcement. <clears throat> Um, that I was running for governor and, and my platform when it when it hit the press that uh, they were concerned about you know our children and I told them in the council meeting it was a council member that brought up the concern I said you know we don't have to share every truth that we know with our children but everything we share should be true I agree with that we don't have to tell them everything you know some hey I'm 56 and there's some things I'd rather not know about life life needs to have some surprises, especially towards the end. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, but everything that we, yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail, but uh, <laughs> if you're here, you know, if you know, you know, right. Right. Um, but you know, everything that we do tell our children needs to be true and, and accurate and, and, you know, perpetuating this propaganda uh, of the evils and ills of cannabis are, are just, false and it's it's time to to lay that nonsense down and and re-educate ourselves and our children about the benefits of medicines found naturally something that you can grow in your own flower garden your own vegetable garden or you know wherever but again it comes back down to that rudimentary that fundamental liberty freedom as long as you're being responsible, your liberty and freedom should not be in, impeded at all. I agree. Um, as I told Miss Marty Shelfer whenever she was on the show, hello, Marty, if you're listening, and thank you again. <clears throat> we we not only have, you know, the freedom of speech for right to bear arms, everything that's listed, we also have the freedom of choice. At least we're supposed to. You know what? Just like what you were saying. I, you openly said that you use cannabis for pretty much your whole life. I've never used it at all, but that doesn't mean that I don't think it ought to be legalized. Right. And, oh, who, oh, and, sure. and who am I to say that you should, I was a corrections officer in Walker County for 10 years, over half of the people that I, they got booked in was on what marijuana charges. If it wasn't marijuana, it was meth. There's a lot of meth and opioid abuse in this county. Oh, yeah. And quite frankly, if marijuana was legalized or decriminalized at the very least, you wouldn't have hardly as much problem with opioids as you would now. 
I mean, the Washington Post came down and I think it was 2015 and followed a couple of people that were inmates in the, in the county jail, followed them through the system. And the Washington Post even talked about how at one point in time, opioids were used as currency in this county. Oh, it's yeah. like money. Yeah. I mean, it's yep. it's a real problem. It's a real problem. Yeah, and well, we're learning now, though, or have learned now, that uh, those who are in the grips of opioid addiction are able to use cannabis to break its grip. Exactly. You know, so it, it's it's just not the 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 substance that has been made out to be for the last. 75 plus years. Let's look at the last 3000 years. It's been part of holistic medicine much, much longer. And again, you know, you, you start peeling back the layers of the onion to get to the truth as to, you know, why prohibition was passed. And, you know, there are many, many reasons, but none of them are good. Prohibition cost this country. Nothing, nothing, nothing. (laughs) So you get all, and, you know, I would point this out as well, you know, the, the, for the folks that want to, to suggest that it, it's not beneficial, it's not helpful and helpful, uh, it's not approved by the FDA. If you go look in any convenience store, there's a product up on the shelf behind the counter that's FDA approved legal in every state, and it's known to cause death. And yet it's available for sale as long as you're over 19 or 19 or over. Um, there's not one recorded death in the history of cannabis use, not one. And yet the FDA doesn't approve. The federal government doesn't approve. Because they can't get the tax dollars off of it. Wow. Well, right. I'll, I'll say into why, but we're just, I'm just pointing out that here's a, here, here's a product. Here's a substance substance known to cause death and yet it's legal and yet another substance that's known to have never caused a death and yet it's illegal it's just you know it's 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 crazy it's it's absurd and it's time to stop the insanity and absurdity and and be sensible uh, about cannabis and other issues you know and gaming's just another one i'm i'm not a big gamer I rarely play the lottery. It's a bad bet. I do enjoy going to the casino every once in a while, but you know, it's just entertainment. Um, But it's a decision I'm capable of making for myself. I'm an adult. You're an adult. Make decisions for yourself. Understand and know that there are consequences, but you know, I'll take the risks associated with my freedom In, uh, rather than the, the security, false sense of security of, of giving up my freedom. Ah, thank you. No, I'll pass. I'll take my freedom. Thanks. Yeah. I agree. And there's no sense in Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, even Tennessee, all getting our state's money whenever we ought yeah. to be, whenever our state ought to be able to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, if you don't like the lottery, don't buy a ticket. If you don't uh, uh, want to drink, don't don't order one. If you if 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 you don't want to smoke cannabis, don't smoke it. But don't sit there and tell your neighbor that they can't just because you object. Right. You know, I find it rather interesting, comical, and infuriating sometimes that you know th- those of us on the right love to point to the left and say, "Oh, you're tyrants. You're trying to impose your your 
mandates, whether it's a vaccine or mask or whatever, you don't tread on me. And yet you turn the table just a little bit and well, they're engaged in the same sort of tyranny, but they've wrapped themselves in the cloak of conservatism. It's still tyranny. You're still trying to impose your will, your moral authority on your neighbors. Or unfortunately, that's tyranny. That's tyranny. Or unfortunately, they're holding their Bible while they're trying to do it and thinks that's justified. And I'm well. That's that's what I'm saying. You know, it's just. um, And I'm a Christian, but but at the same time, what my belief is, what I feel, what my morals, what my convictions are, they're mine. They're not. They might not be yours. Who am I to tell you in a quote free country? That you can't yep. do that. Well, what I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed <laughs> to do as a Christian is say, you know what, Dave, Jesus loves you, and I love you. If I can help you in any way, you let me know, and actually, right. and actually mean it. It's That's not right. my job to judge. It's not my job to condemn. That's his. Well, if he has a I problem. Have a personal, <clears throat> right? He I has have a, a personal relationship, and uh, you know, I would encourage you to to develop one too. You know, a personal. But that's just right. it. There's the operative key word: personal. Right. You know, we're not to make a big show of our faith or our prayer uh, life. You know, uh, pray pray in a closet. Um, what? Uh, remove the beam from your own eye before you go to remove the splinter in your neighbor's eye. Um, yes. You know, and, and, and circling back to these other campaigns, you know, if their Bible reads like my Bible, mine says, fear not, for I'm with thee. Why are you peddling all this fear? The sky is falling. We're all doomed unless you vote for XYZ candidate, who's, again, wrapped themselves in the cloak of Christianism or Christian conservatism and Christianity. You know, um, it got me scratching my head going, I hope other people are seeing this and scratching their heads to wondering what are these people doing um like taking a note from 9-11 because ever since 9-11 fear has driven this country oh agreed well again it's nothing new um it, it it's been a successful tactic uh i guess since the dawn of time um but um you know again uh, i saw a meme today i thought it was so cute uh, there was two frames. The upper frame was uh, someone who keeps up with, you know, all the latest news, fear, uh, sensational head headlines and whatnot. And they're just, you know, pulling their hair and gnashing their teeth. And then the, the frame below is somebody sitting in a rowboat with their feet up and their hands behind their head, just chilling under the sun, surrounded by sharks. So the, the first frame is those who have no faith or believe in everything they read. And the other is those who know he capital H has a plan and is in control, you know? Um, and that's where I find myself. Yeah. The world's burning, but it's his world. It's his plan. And we're just charged to do the best we can with what we got relying on him. And so, uh, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, let's be responsible. Let's take care of what needs to be taken care of. But just like when I got back into politics, I mean, I had been blue collar for 20. I went from white collar to blue collar, spent 20 years in blue collar, got back into white collar, didn't own a suit, had to go buy a suit to run for mayor. 
And when I got ready to buy socks, I, I, I thought, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I, I've always wanted to be that guy, but I just didn't feel confident and com- comfortable being that guy. But doggone it, I'm a visual kind of person. And so I bought the crazy, fun, colorful, with the wild ones. Wild socks. Yep. As a visual reminder that while there's serious business to be addressed, there goes, you know, the suit. Get down to my socks. It's a visual reminder myself that even in the most challenging and difficult circumstances, there's room, there's time to grin and be thankful. You went with a bow tie too, didn't you? No, I didn't go that far. Oh, come on now. Well, I, I, I did have one years ago. (laughs) for St. Patty's Day, but um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't object to both ties. Yeah, they're they're kind of cool, but I don't have any. But uh, I can't afford the the really nice, uh, crazy ties. Right. These crazy socks were, you know, specials. I, I won't name the retailer, but <clears throat> yeah, specials. Um, but anyhow, again, just being a a visual kind of person, I I, I felt it was um, yeah, it was time. You know, uh, and that was part of the uh, what went into the the campaign slogan. It's time, Alabama. You know, it, it's it was time for me personally to embrace the crazy socks. It was time for me to you know get back into politics. It's time to, to have, talk some common sense about cannabis. It's time to you know the the gaming, the lottery again. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not a big proponent. I'm I'm not totally against it but i'm not totally for it as long as it's good and i don't mean just a little bit if as long as it's heavily weighted in favor of the uh, alabama taxpayer okay let's take a look if if it only serves special interest i'm not interested i'll pass you know let's come with a clean bill just a simple yes or no do you want gaming opportunities in alabama yes all right let's take the next step no done you know, that should be put to bed for a while, uh, as opposed to it coming up again and again and again. Um, and well, I, I think it might have actually, didn't they bring it up for a vote this last, this last time? But they, I think one thing that messed it up whenever they introduced it was the flat out, the guy who introduced it, I can't remember his name, saved my life right off the top of my head. But he came out and said he wants half of it to go in the general fund. And then I think he said something about the other half going into education. A lot of people do not trust their state politicians right now because the state is so heavily taxed per capita, but mm-hmm. yet, but yet we don't have any, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparency. Mm-hmm. And we can't, and we can't see where the money goes. A lot of people think that money just goes right into the politicians pockets. I don't. I, I can't speak directly to that. I mean, I don't have any. <clears throat> I know, you know hands-on knowledge uh, of that sort of thing. But, and and you know, quite frankly, they're they're pretty crafty. Those who are kind of like you know any other person right. that, that that's engaging in criminal activity, they're going right. to be crafty about it. They're not going to just come right out. Yeah, um, and I'm and, I, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything like that. I'm making. I'm just. I'm strictly just making a statement. How let's. I'm I'm rooting for you. I hope you win. You well, I appreciate just, it. just talking just talking right now. You've personally got mine and Porch Matters endorsements. Awesome. As soon Thank as you. as soon as you get in, how how can you provide the transparency needed 
because I think, for example, in Walker County, a few years ago, they wanted to vote in a 1% tax. And it was just strictly to build money and funds and everything for the county. And part of it was going to go over here to the to the fire, the volunteer fire departments, and part of it was going to go over here, and part of it was going to go over there, and this, that, and the other. But they never, it was really more generalized, and a lot of people were worried that, you know, the money, so once everything got fixed the way they wanted it to, or whatever, that they, they were just going to continue to collect it, and this, that, and the other. Basically, what I'm saying yeah. is, is they were worried about the transparency. So, yeah, it, didn't, so um, it didn't pass. There, there's, there's good reason for voters to be concerned and leery of their elected officials. I mean, we've just got plenty of examples of people who, who have abused their power. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what what you do exactly to expose or, or to shine the light any more so on um, elected officials dealings uh, the, the the sunshine laws are in place and if they go around you know meeting without uh, being open to the public I mean we've already got laws in place for that you just have to catch them if they're doing it and apply uh, the law to the situation um, we, we've got oversight and, and lots of eyes I'm, I'm not sure it's it's not as blatant as one might think it like i said they're pretty crafty you know shell companies and and no show jobs and you know that's when we got legislators that are working for our junior colleges you know there there there's a problem there you know you're supposed to avoid even the uh, the appearance of impropriety i get calls for the campaign on the city's phone for mayor and i tell them i that I got to call you back. Call me on this other number, but just right. avoiding even the appearance of impropriety. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I would dare say that most, certainly not all, but most elected officials, most city employees, state employees, they're, they're honest people. Um, right. And there have been some that I, I would argue that that were honest and simply took bad advice. Right. Um, and, and made a mistake um, with with no malice, right? Um, but you know that's why you have to be careful in this business, and and it's important the letter of the law, um, and make sure that you're you're well within it. But um, but before you go any further, I just want to clarify. Mm-hmm. Number one, I'm not trying to put you on the spot at all whatsoever, and number yeah. two, I'm I'm throwing out a general blanket statement that. These days, especially, it just feels like the people, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. do do not trust the politicians that they elect, and I, and I and I personally feel like that's a problem. And I'm oh, not, it is. <laughs> and I'm, it is. You know, it's as as a politician, I could understand how difficult that it, it would be in order just number one to gain your constituents trust enough to get them to vote for you. And yep. then as soon as you get in, you know, you've got to, you've either got to earn everybody's trust or keep what trust that you have. I, I understand yep. that wholeheartedly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, they're, they're, uh, again, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to blank, throw a blanket statement out that, you know, nobody. Oh no, no, know, no. But, um, like you know, it, it was interesting, um, to, to see newly elected officials, my second term, um, newly elected house members that were said to be really salt of the earth people back home. But when they come to Montgomery, you were amazed they could get their head through the door. They thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread because they were, you know, people lined up around the corner to tell them that. Right. And, and, you know, Oh, you're just wonderful. They started to believe their own press sort of thing. And you know, that, that, that just kind of supports the old adage that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Um, that that's the beauty of our system, the checks and balances when it works, yes. when, when the checks and balances are applied, yeah. you know, I, 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 I've had to have <laughs> some, uh, well, let's just call them difficult conversations, uh, over my life with, with people in, in certain situations where, you know, I had to point out that, we all need accountability partners. Yes. And uh, I mean, we, we, we can't hold ourselves accountable because we, we all tell ourselves little white lies to justify our own questionable behavior. And, right. and your accountability partner really doesn't need to be the person you share pillow talk with because, you know, that, that accountability partner needs to be somebody who can tell you like it is, what it is like it is without fear of, you know, <laughs> You waking up mad the next morning, you know, next to whatever, you know, um, it just needs to be somebody else. I agree. And, and so, um, my, you know, that's, that, that's what's missing. I think in, in, in the public, um, circle, uh, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. is, is a lack of accountability and, and, and to say that, well, well, we're holding elected officials accountable to the voters. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're, we're a forgetful bunch. And, you know, uh, just like with uh, this gas tax, you know, I, I was explaining to somebody just today, the conventional wisdom is if you're going to do something like this, you do it the very first year of your term. So you've got three more years to, to do some good, to hopefully outweigh the bad. And, and maybe people will forget about the bad as you're doing all these good things. Well, people have not forgotten about the gas tax. And um, I, I um, haven't. No, no. <laughs> I, I had every time I go to get fuel and I, I drive two diesels. So yeah, uh, fuels up to about five fifty a gallon now. Um, no, I hadn't forgotten either. To me, it, to me, um, it's the principle in that, in that situation, because the very same person who ran just a few years ago on the, mm-hmm. on the basis of no new taxes, mm-hmm. right? What happens, right. what happens as soon as this person gets elected? Boom. Yep. So that lack of accountability, uh, we all need it. We need accountability and we, we, we need it, uh, you know, at the highest levels. So as far as what I could do, I mean, uh, you know, there is this separation of powers and it is the legislative body that, you know, passes laws, creates laws, passes laws in the budgets. Right. However, the governor's got a role to play as well. And, you know, what, what I would hope to bring to, to the table is that accountability, whether it's, you know, my eyes or, or eyes of my eyes, keeping an eye on them and uh, calling them out when, when need be um, and holding them accountable. That is good. As, as, as some people have said, you know, well, you, 
as governor, you don't get to rule by decree. I said, well, no, that's true. Well, how are you going to have an impact? Well, it's called politics. And if you have the, uh, the wherewithal, what limited gray matter between these ears, but more importantly, the intestinal fortitude, the thick skin and the hard head to do what's right and press forward uh, and lead. Um, that's what I, I, I bring to the table. Um, you know, we've got a decent manager in Montgomery right now. Decent manager. But you manage from the rear. You lead from the front. And as governor, you're, you're supposed to be a leader of the state. Uh, even our state motto, we dare defend our rights. You're, you're not doing that from the back of the crowd. You do that out front. And if you can't stomach the fight, step aside or some of you, you will get run over. And if, it, if it's the opposition that's running you over, you're, you're just first in line. And, right. and they'll run over all of us, right. namely Washington, the federal overreach. So uh, we've we've seen the failure on behalf of Alabama by our current governor. And um, I'm not sure that other candidates in either party have got the metal, the intestinal fortitude to actually stand strong with the people of Alabama against any any overreach from washington and uh, like i said i've been there done that I've, I've taken on the leadership and they blinked i got tired of getting run over and lied to so many times in montgomery i'd finally enough was enough years before i had heard about big bertha have you ever heard of big bertha yes. big bertha oh you have okay well 1096 pages i think it was took like 17 hours to read it had been uh, never introduced, but always brought out in the Senate as a threat. Well, I got a copy of it, and she sat under my desk for years until the day of reckoning came. And uh, there's a, a procedurally, there's a very limited window that you can do this. And so I, I walk down to the speaker as he's getting ready to start the day session. He's busy, and I've got a couple of pieces of paper in my hand. I've been paying attention. I hadn't been sleeping. Right. So I, I asked him, I said, Mr. Speaker, during the roll call of districts, I'd like to be introduced for, uh, uh, recognized for the introduction of a bill. Well, during the roll call of districts, introduction of a bill, bill must be read by its title. Oh, so boy. he looks over and sees my two little pieces of paper and he says, sure. And kind of just, you know, weighs me off, dismisses me as it were. And I, so I go stand in the well, get ready. And sure enough, roll call of districts, Mr. Thomas from St. Clair, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Apparently I've grabbed the wrong bill and called up to my seat mate, Mr. McKee, Mr. McKee, would you look under my desk and bring me that bill? His eyes got big as saucers. I mean, the thing stood stacked uh, probably 12, 10, 12 inches tall, 1096 pages. And, uh, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in that chamber. It was silent until John Knight, who was chairman of Ways and Means, realized what had just happened. He threw his papers in the air. He had not yet introduced his budget or his new tax bills. And until we dispensed with my little bill, Big Bertha, no other bills could be introduced. So it put a, a jam in the system. And Albert Hall from North Alabama. You remember Albert Hall? You might remember that name. Anyhow, uh, I think he was from Hartzell. 
He said, oh, son, they're going to buy you off or beat you down. I said, no, you don't understand. They don't understand who they're dealing with. No, it's a matter of principle. <laughs> and so finally, the the, the speaker had uh, really exhausted all of his tools. They had tried to mess with some of my local legislation, they, you know, all kinds of stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, I got kicked and I kicked back. Um, I messed with their legislation. I voted no on their constant local constitutional amendments, which took them statewide there. Even my colleagues, my Republican colleagues were like, Dave, you, you don't want to do that. So well, yes, I do. And I recommend <laughs> the rest of you, uh, uh, carry over your bills until we get this resolved, which they finally ultimately did. But, uh, the day finally came and the speaker looked at me and he said, Mr. Thomas, you really going to make us read this bill. And I looked at him like, uh, um, Russell Crowe in the gladiator just kind of tilted my head and gave him a little nod said, yes, sir. And he said, well, the clerk will begin reading. So we left, but I had given a note to the clerk of the house that at the hour of 11 59, I formally withdraw the bill. And that way it saved the taxpayer about $10,000. I'd made my point. There was no point in taking it any further and actually wasting money. But you know, as, as they say, um, when the legislature is in session, no man's life, liberty, or wife <clears throat> is safe. So, you know, the, the less that the legislature did, the, the safer everybody was. Um, so it was a good day. But Albert Hall came to me afterwards. He said, hey, your stock just went up in my book and not just mine. You took on the leadership and they didn't beat you down or buy you off. And uh, I said, well, I appreciate it. To me, that was a, a, a very strong compliment coming from a seasoned veteran of that process. So anyhow, yeah, it's, uh, again, got experience with it, taking on the big boys. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for any genuflection on my part or theirs. I just want to work hand in hand and do what's right and what's best for Alabama. I want my children and my grandchildren, my mother's still alive. I want my mother to be proud of her son and his service. My children, my grandchildren, proud of their father and pop, you know, so um, just trying to do what's right. Do, do what we can in that dash uh, and, and be impactful, something significant. And, you know, some people are so poor, all they have is money. It ain't about money. It, not not even close. I, I I like documentaries. That's my preferred genre. <clears throat> and I was watching a documentary about the 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 super stupid rich, and they were uh, interviewing this guy out in California. They asked him, so you know, what is it that drives you, that motivates you, gets you up in the morning to, to do what you do? And he, he looked squarely in the camera, and said, add another zero. And I thought, how sad. <laughs> if that's the meaning of life to add another zero to your bottom line, I mean, money's important and I'm not, I'm not, it's very, you know, it's, it's very important, but it ain't, yeah. it ain't the be all in the right. It's exactly. a tool. It's a tool. That's what it is. It's a tool. Yes, indeed. As I have, I learned long ago and, and have always said no one on their deathbed, wishes they had spent more time in the office no. working on their career. You know, and, and I was fortunate, blessed to, to be given that insight early. It's, uh, you know, more important about family and, and, and helping your neighbor. And, and really, uh, those are the two of the three, you know, your faith, family, and, and helping one another. Everything after that is just gravy. Those are the three, the, the meat and potatoes of life, faith, family, and helping one another. 
let's get into that just a touch. Yes. Uh, yeah. When it, what are some of the things as governor that you would like to do for the people of Alabama other than cannabis and gaming? Well, actually, you know, the, the number one plank in the platform is to eliminate the uh, grocery tax. Um, and it, <laughs> if you would explain, I, I, explain that, because I had, to, I actually had to do a little bit of research whenever I looked at your website. Yep. Uh, I did not realize that this state was one of three in this union, mm-hmm. in this union, Mississippi and South Dakota being the other two that yep. had, that had a grocery, a grocery tax, tax. Yeah. a 4% Taxing grocery the, tax. Yeah. 4%. Four percent. Actually, taxing the very things that we need for sustenance to survive. I mean, it's 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 beyond preposterous. I mean, you know, as as they say, money's not the the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's the greed. Well, government's no different. And when they just squeeze every last dime out of their, their their citizens, I mean, it's that love of money, that lust for money. And legislature is certainly guilty of of that. So, I mean, it, it, helping families across the state, that's that's my number one goal. And so what better way to do that than to, you know, for the government to get their hand out of your pocket, eliminate the grocery tax, eliminate the income tax. Now, uh, Alabama relies heavily on a sales tax, right? So the yes, more sir. you have to spend, the more you're going to do what? Spend. If you have more money in your pocket, are you going to go dig a hole in the backyard and bury it? Of course not. You're either going to invest it, and hopefully wisely, but you know it's your money. Do with it, do with it as you will. Invest it, or you're going to spend it. Most of us are going to spend it. Mm-hmm. And when you spend it, aside from groceries, what are you going to pay? Sales tax. So we can lower the rates, lower the tax burden on the taxpayer, and the state is going to make more money. It, it, it's economics 101. Yes, sir. And by removing Removing the income tax. Now, you, you talk about pouring jet fuel into the economic development engine of this state. Oh, my word. Uh, we will have businesses relocating to Alabama, bringing those jobs left and right. I mean, look what's happening in California just because of their taxation and overregulation. Companies and, and families are leaving in droves. Now, I'm not suggesting that we want all those coming here. We want good growth, right growth. You know, don't bring those toxic policies from California to Alabama. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, given the opportunity, the freedom, I think that's something that most, if not all, unfortunately not all, but most Americans enjoy, embrace, and and, and understand that that's part of this fabric of America, the fabric of freedom. So, again, you know, getting out of your pocket, getting out of your way. Those are the two big things right there that I'd like to do first and foremost. That would be at the top of my agenda. Cannabis is down down the list. Um, right. It, it, it's really about helping helping families first economically. And then, you know, if we could get to a point where we could talk about reducing property tax, I'd love to, to go there as well. That might be a bit further down the road, but something we could do almost immediately, especially in light of the last couple of years, the challenges put on families just to keep things together. You know, everybody's familiar with the child tax credit. Yes. I'd like to see us introduce a grandchild tax credit. I mean, look at what grandparents are doing to step up to help their children and grandchildren uh, with school closures, with, with mom and dad 
trying to hold on to the jobs that they had, you know, with all the shutdowns and it's just, it's there's been lot, quite the challenge. There's a lot and, of grand, there's a lot of grandparents out there having to raise kids and, and, and they're raising those grandchildren. So why not offer a grandchild tax credit across the state of Alabama? You know, again, just trying to ease the burden on the taxpayer, trying to keep families together. Um, you know, what, 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 what's one of the leading causes of divorce and, and, and families breaking up it's finance, it's money, plenty of other things that are, you know, contribute, but the number one is typically finance. Yeah. And when, uh, when the state is helping themselves to <laughs> meet their needs at your expense, well, as far as I'm concerned, we have a problem. Absolutely. And uh, as governor, I could do something about that and would. Well, as governor, what could you do about the education system? Yeah. I have a best friend that happens to be a teacher. I hear nonstop about how the education system is just terrible right now. Well, it is. Uh, that, that daughter of mine that I spoke of earlier, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she spent a lot of time, effort, money to get her teaching certificate from the University of Montevallo, only to find herself seven years into the profession wanting to get out. Now she's out homeschooling her children. Um, she had just had enough of the system and uh, felt like she couldn't justify teaching other people's children as other people taught her children. Makes sense. She, she felt that she, she just needed to focus on her family. So yeah, she, she left the teaching profession and uh, is now homeschooling. And, you know, again, going back to the finance tax, a lot of families would love to homeschool or go to private school, but they can't afford it. Sure. That's the, the, the biggest hurdle. Not just the private tuition, but being able to homeschool. Well, again, if you know, if we weren't putting such a hit on the taxpayer, perhaps they could afford to homeschool. I don't know. Just you know, let's have a conversation. Let's explore it. Let's take a look and see con- what we can do to help. Absolutely. Um, but with regard to education reform, um, you know, the, it's popular amongst I, I think many, if not all, the campaign. For governor, uh, both parties, uh, school choice to some degree, one and one flavor or another. But I'm I'm full bore school choice. I think the education dollar should follow the student, whether that goes to public school or private school or homeschool or you know, it's education dollars follows the student. But I, I think we're doing ourselves a, a disservice when we we stop it at, at well post secondary. I mean, it, let me ask you: Have you stopped learning? How old are you? I just <laughs> to put you 40. on the spot. I just turned 40 in December. Just turned 40. Uh, are you still learning? Have you stopped learning? As have, have I you tried in as I Go was ahead. told <laughs> a long time ago by a, a very wise man, my granddad, the day you stop learning is the day you die. Yeah, well, and, and even I would then, always, and exactly. even then you're learning something. <laughs> uh, you took the words out of my mouth. Yep. So, you know, I don't know. We, again, I got an early start. You know, I I, I was thrust into adulthood uh, at an early age. But we you know we've got some others at the other end of the spectrum, some late bloomers, if you will. And I would suggest or argue that you know you've been paying into the education trust fund <laughs> all these years, and your education has not yet stopped. 
So let's just say you wake up one day, you're 35, 40 years old, and, you know, the light has finally come on. You've decided you want to do something better for yourself and for your family. You, you realize you, perhaps you should have paid closer attention in school. But, you know, that ship has sailed, and here you are now ready to grow up, as it were. You should be, in my opinion, be able to enroll in any skilled trade program certified and funded by the state free of charge. You decide you want, and I'm, I'm, I'm not belittling those who are doing it. Please don't misunderstand me. But, you know, if you decide you want to do something more than ask, would you like fries with that or supersize your order? And would like to go from making a minimum wage living to a solid, uh, much more significant income, then why are we not making that more readily available as a community, as a state? And again, these are education tax dollars. I'm not suggesting that, you know, you want to go get your master's or, you know, something of that. There are programs for that. I'm talking about adult education uh, beyond adult literacy, skilled training. You know, there needs to be more trade schools in this state. Well, and that leads to the next point as far as education uh, reform. You know, again, with the late bloomers, yes, there are some students that, that, that don't bloom academically until later. But typically, generally speaking, by the time a student reaches the eighth grade, we've got that they've established a pretty good academic record right you, you know or at least have a pretty good idea if they're college bound right. if they are keep them on that college prep schedule you know the uh, curriculum right but if they're not why on earth are we continuing to teach them how to write a thesis paper we we need to be teaching them a, a skilled trade yeah. And if they start in the eighth grade that gives them four years if if in the eighth grade, they decide, hey, I want to learn HVAC, and they stick with it. They'll have four years training experience to offer an employer or get a loan and go into business for themselves. And possibly make more money than the people and that, went to, that went to college and collected Absolutely. all of that student debt. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, let's say in the eighth grade, they, hey, I want, I want to learn HVAC. Uh, ninth grade. Nah, I really don't want, want to do that. You know, they have, they still have time and opportunity to yeah. learn some, a new skill that when they graduate, they can actually earn a living yeah. and, and, and not have to live in their teenage bedroom until they're in their mid twenties when they can actually then finally afford to move out. And right. even then, you know, their options are just not as right. Not, not everybody is supposed to go to college, uh, nor should they, especially no. this day and age. I mean, I you went know? to college and quite frankly, I mean, it's, it's great for the experience. You know, if you can, if you can go, I had the opportunity to go. I almost right. didn't go. Right. My first real job, I was an electrician's helper making six ninety nine. It doesn't sound like much today, but you got to remember this is $1982. So six ninety five an hour working four good. tens a week. Was I was making more as a 17 year old, no, I think I was 18. Yeah, I was 18. I turned 18. Then my mother was with two master's degree. No, she had one master's degree. Yeah. A master's degree. And I was making more money than she was. When I was 16, I was a plumber's helper during the summertime. 
Ah, there you go. See, five dollars yep. an hour. I thought I was. Right. <laughs> I thought I was just Bill you, you Gates or something. I That's really right. Was. Right. Yeah. You were making good money. Yeah. So, you know, I almost didn't go to college, but um, again, my dad had died at 29. He was in the army. So I had VA benefits. And so my, I, I had an opportunity to go to college. I'd been a fool not to. Right. Um, but quite frankly, other than the experience, my diploma's worth a little more than blowing your nose because it's just a general business degree. You know, if you're, if you're pursuing a profession, absolutely you need to go to college you need more schooling right. obviously but there are very few people who are actually working in their field of study i don't care what university you pull from you know, it, it, it's just it's rare unless you're pursuing a professional degree so it's a great experience but it's certainly not a prerequisite for success or happiness fulfillment again I, I, we need to give our students better opportunities, greater opportunities. Uh, and that comes through learning a skilled trade. So I would like to expand trade schools and ag programs. I mean, you know, we, we, we live in, I can't remember now if it's one of the most biodiverse or the most, I want to say it's the most biodiverse state in the union to use, uh, uh, I guess, modern vernacular. We're covered up with natural resources, we'd be fools not to, you know, utilize it, take advantage of it. So we need to expand our, our ag programs. You know, too many people, not just students, but grown adults, they don't know where their food comes from or where their poop goes. You know, they're just, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Well, <sighs> you're right. You know, modern conveniences, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but I think, know, we need I to, think the kids call that first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, right. But you know, we, we, we need to, um, but you're right. We, we need to remove the stigma of trades and crafts. There is nothing um, wrong with where with going to work, wearing a shirt that's got your name on it. Absolutely. And like I said, with it. I've been doing it for the last 20 years. I went uh, again, I went from white collar to blue collar and I've never worked as hard before in my life as blue collar, but then I never had the same sort of satisfaction from you my, can, my work either. You can look and, at something uh, that you've done throughout the day at the end of it and actually yeah. see that you've accomplished yeah. something. Yeah. Well, when I started this business, my, my wife was like, well, you just don't want a boss. I said, oh, to the contrary. <laughs> I said, every customer, every client I've got is a boss. That's it. Big difference is if I don't like what's happening, I take my toys, my tools, I, I move on. You know, I there don't have go. to get on my hands and knees and, and, and beg and plead to take my sick child to the, the doctor. I had a boss that told me, he said, you know, back in the day, that was a woman's job. I said, I tell you what. My woman, my wife makes more than me and she carries all the benefits. You want to be competitive? We'll talk. But otherwise, I need to time off to take my sick child to the doctor because the wife's making the money and the benefits. That's it. Y'all don't pay beans, but you know, I, I, it served a purpose. You know, I, it, it was, I was going to night school. I had gone back to school because right. I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing and where I was. And before I could finish, Night school at Sanford, I wound up getting into politics, running for the legislature, and, well, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, but so anyway, to answer your question about education reform, school choice, 
trade schools and ag, you know, the, the education dollars following the student. And, and you, you talked about it earlier, transparency. I mean, from the top down in every aspect of our government needs to be transparent. And, and, and shine the light of public scrutiny. If it can't stand the light of public scrutiny, then perhaps we need to change how we're doing things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So anyway, that, that pretty well, you know, in a nutshell, I suppose, to answer your question about education reform, that's those are my plans uh, for education reform. Of course, there's you know, much more. Um, we need tenure reform. That was one of the things that led us to Springville. Our daughter, she she was in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, happy students, straight A's, B's, you know, just happy. Second grade, she goes from A's and B's to C's, D's, and F's. And we can't figure out why. We had her tested. We took her to a psychiatrist. We took her to the counselor. We met with, you know, went through the proper channels. Well, we decided the problem was, was in the classroom. And so we, I, I went to the principal and I said, hey, uh, you know, don't want to be totally disruptive, but, you know, when we come back from Christmas break, she's going to be in a new classroom. And I was told, no, that, that goes against our policy. And I said, well, you can take your policy. Well, you know what to do with it. <laughs> I'm not going to sacrifice a year of my child's education because of your policy. And so we pulled her out of public school and put her in Parkway Christian uh, private school with a much tougher curriculum. And she went back to making A's and B's. And so that's when we decided it was time to get out of Birmingham. And uh, we found a church home in Springville first and started commuting. And then we found our home here in town. I've been here 31 years ever since. Um, but you know, it's that, that, that accountability and, and, and openness, you know, and, and when, it, when we went and had her tested uh, with a psychiatrist, um, I asked, well, where's the two way mirror? Where, where do the parents get to, you know, observe? And I was told, Oh no, you don't get to do that. And I said, if you think I'm going to turn my child's impressionable mind over to a stranger without any sort of accountability, you've lost your ever loving mind. It was that lack of accountability that I could not handle. And so we, we, of course, she also wanted to write her prescription for this, that, and the other. And we're like, nah, no, thanks. No, we we dug a little deeper on our own and and discovered, you know, what the problem was, where it lie. And it was in the classroom and couldn't do anything about that because of tenure laws and well, their policy. And so we made choices that were best for our family and, we moved along, but you know, again, with regard to education reform, tenure reform needs to be part of that conversation as well. Um, we don't need to go back to the days of nepotism by any stretch, no. but we need to be able to retain the excellent teachers work with those who are not excellent and part ways with anyone that's not meeting the standard, not, not rising to the challenge. Um, because you know, whether it's business, government, family, I mean, you name it at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, it's about results. Yes. Not, not rhetoric, not retention results. So I'm, I'm, I'm more, more concerned about our students than 
our tenure, our tenured teachers. Now I want to keep the good ones. I want to attract even better. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, if you can't get rid of the bad apples, it's going to spoil the whole barrel. Yes, sir. So anyway, um, any other questions about it? Uh, education reform? <laughs> I think you pretty much covered it, sir. All right. I do got at least two more questions for you before we call it a night. Sure. sure. Number one, where can the people of Alabama find you before the primary? Are you going to be at any events or anything scheduled? Oh, sure. All kinds of events and podcasts, interviews, candidate profiles, and that sort of thing. The quickest way would be just to look online at uh, DaveThomasForGovernor.com. Go ahead and answer this question, even though it hadn't been asked. I was asked earlier today, what about signs and cards? And, you know, why haven't we seen ads on TV yet? Well, we're a grassroots campaign. And uh, I've even had some families make some homemade signs that are just awesome. Uh, I, I really wish that sort of thing would go viral. I think it'd be phenomenal. But quite frankly, it's... Um, it's grassroots. It's it's talking to friends and families, and coworkers, and that sort of thing. When we get the signs and, and cards, we'll certainly get them distributed around the state. But you know, last I checked, we count votes, not TV ads or radio spots or signs or cards. We count votes. So that's really the most important thing. If people want to help, get involved. We need some campaign contributions if we're going to do some you know advertising and whatnot. But you know, how awesome! How much more powerful would a victory be if we actually won and didn't spend the millions and those who spent the millions came up short? It'd be awesome. It'd be a very powerful message, I think, sent to, well, the legislature. Would be. Uh, legislature, yes. I think my, so. My last question for you, sir, and I would. Sure. I wouldn't be doing my audience a service if I didn't ask this. Mm -hmm. How often. Do you get asked if you're related to the man who founded Wendy's or founded St. Jude? <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time, I'd, whew. but I tell you this, uh, um, back when I was in the legislature, I think it was Chicago. I went to a, um, a legislative convention and downstairs in the hotel where I was staying was none other than Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's giving a speech about adoption because he was a big advocate yes, for adoption. And so uh, I went down and, and hung out, waited for it to end. And I, I grabbed a, a reporter photographer and I begged her, would you please take a picture as I introduced myself to Dave Thomas? And she said she would, which she did. And she actually sent it to me. And I've got the photograph of me shaking hands with Dave Thomas as I introduced myself. And the look on his face was priceless. You're like, huh? You know, I get it all the time. Yeah, I found her winning. Do you want frosty and fries with that order? But anyway, yeah, I actually got a photograph with him. Um, it was awesome. It was great. So, uh, but yeah, you. no, I get I get asked that quite a bit. When I ran for, see, was it ninety? Yeah, I think it was ninety four when I first ran for the legislature. I had a friend, and it was actually an ex boyfriend of my wife's. They did <clears throat> way back when. Anyway, found him in Springville. He's a graphic artist, and his firm actually did some work for Wendy's. So he had the logo available to him. He had to do some, you know, minor modifications so he wouldn't infringe on trademark um, copyright laws. Right. 
but he painted up a four by eight sheet of plywood. Come meet the real Dave Thomas. And I had given, I was giving away free hamburgers at the St. Clair County Cattlemen's Association meeting. And I threatened my daughter to paint freckles on her face and, you know, put a red pigtail <laughs> wig on top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, didn't didn't go quite that far, but um, it, it was well received. But no, I get asked that quite quite, quite a bit, <laughs> which is fine, you know. Um, hey, it's name recognition. It's name recognition, and they say that's you know more than half the battle. So uh, I'll 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 take it. We have to work with what we have, right? But anyhow, no. As I told you, you know, this, this stuff is kind of in my blood. Um, not quite right in the head, but uh, we we could talk all night. Um, you you ready to wrap it up? Uh, we could talk again longer if you'd like. But uh, if you're satisfied, we're good. Uh, hey, there's always a part two, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, questions tend to lead to more questions. Yes, um, so yeah, we you know got some other things, plenty of things that we could talk about. You know, even though it's a national issue per se, it really gets down to the state level when we start talking about immigration. You know, what are we going to do? We got failure to lead from Washington to secure our southern border. Well, they're pouring in. Where are they going? They're not just staying in Texas. No, sir, they're not. So, so what are we going to do here in Alabama? What what is our governor going to do if? If Biden starts loading immigrants up on planes and landing in, in Alabama, you know, well, if the past is any indication, I'm afraid we're going to be disappointed um, unless we have a change in Montgomery. And, and that's, again, part of the reason I decided to run. Um, we've, we've, we've got to have strong leadership, and that's something that we've been missing. Uh, I agree. So anyhow, yeah, there are plenty of other other issues that we can talk about as well. An initiative and referen- referendum being another, you know, that's kind of fallen off the radar over the years. That, that was big back in 94, but hadn't heard a whole lot about it. But again, you know, I'd, empowering people to make choices for themselves and collectively, you know, and if we can't get lawmakers to grow a spine and tackle some of the more difficult challenges facing our state, then perhaps we should trust the people of the state. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of initiative and referendum as well. Special interest hate that, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's probably telling you you're doing something good, doing it right. There needs to be competition. Yes, sir. There does, and I, and and you know whether it's between our hospitals with this this ridiculous certificate of need uh, requirement, uh, which you know creates more challenges with providing health care for our residents, or you know competition in in the classroom between our schools, or competition between our elected officials and the people of Alabama. Initiative and referendum, competition, accountability. You know. Um, Come on. Competition is supposed to bring out the best in people. Sometimes it brings out the worst too, but a lot of, but in a lot of of instances, it, it brings out the best effort. Agreed more, more times than not. It's, it's certainly worth the effort and and whatever cost. And Uh, if you're anything like me, I hate losing at checkers. I'm a good sport about it, but I hate it. I don't mind as long as it's competitive. 
uh, I recently got into a chess match uh, where this guy was just smoking everybody. It was at the drop zone. And um, we had a few minutes that were refueling the plane. He said, ah, you want to play? I said, sure. Well, I missed that load because, well, it was a good game. And he, he was kind of impressed. The second and third game, he mopped the floor with me. I mean, like three moves, checkmate. It's like, oh, my word. Yeah, checkers. Anybody check? Because it wasn't competitive. You know, uh, he, he, he was having his way. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit more competitive than that. I don't mind losing as long as I've put up a good fight. But um, you, it, well, you, it, you did just bring yeah. something up. Some, some people might have an issue with trying to vote for somebody that's willing to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> well, can you, can you touch on your, <laughs> on your skydiving hobby that you have? Sir? Yeah. Um, well, actually, um, it all started with a birthday. I've had one every year since I was born, and and none of them really rattled my cage. You know, well, as I mentioned, you, my, hopefully you continue to have a few. Well, more I hope before so. You yeah. So. yeah. Um, well, as I mentioned, my dad died when he was twenty nine, so you know, thirty was rather significant for me. Um, but it really didn't rattle my cage. Forty didn't bother me. Fifty didn't bother me. But fifty five. I don't know. My, my granddaughter, she was five at the time and she held her hand up. She said, pop, I'm a whole hand. I said, Hey babe, I'm two whole hands. And she said, 10. And I said, no, 55. Oh my word. Well, my wife had made me promise when we first got married that I would wait until our children were grown before I did anything like skydiving. And I'd always wanted to go skydiving. So 55, Hey, we're empty nesters and have been, it's time to get busy on this bucket list. So, um, yeah, exactly. You know, time waits for no man. And, um, you know, the, the birthday just kind of rattled my cage and I, I realized that the clock is ticking faster and louder. And so I, I went up to Vinemont to Coleman, uh, to skydive Alabama, a little plug there, folks. And uh, did the tandem skydive, thinking that, okay, you know, checking this off my bucket list. And before my feet hit the ground, I told him, I said, this meets my need. I want more. <laughs> I got home and my wife was like, well, what'd you do today? I said, watch the video. She said, you did what? Why didn't you tell me? I said, because you would have worried. And just like now, you know, it's, but I, it's done. I'm home. I'm safe. She said, well, I'm glad. And I said, well. Well, I'm glad you're sitting down because I'm going back for more. I'm going to get my license. <laughs> and uh, she said, you have lost your ever-loving mind. I said, yeah, well, th that's another matter altogether. We've known that. I said, but I'm, I'm chasing it. I'm, I'm, I'm done talking about it. Um, she's, she's a benefactor on your life insurance, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Sure she that's made sure all, the premiums are all paid up. That's you all know? you got to say, honey. You're on the you're on my life insurance. What are you worried about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to give me a little put, a little nudge out the door? Um, but yeah, no. Uh, I just recently actually got my first level professional license, uh, my my A license, and I'm uh, closing in on my B license, which would allow me to jump at night and into stadiums. Imagine that. Um, the optics. Politically speaking, hmm, that could be interesting. It'd be very um, interesting, sir. But you know, it it really is uh, therapeutic. I find it therapeutic. Um, 
it doesn't matter what challenges I have at the office, at city hall, at home. It's even in my own head. When it comes time to exit the plane, you're focused on what you're doing. You're in the moment. And it's, it's not a, oh, my God. It's more of like, you know, everything gets pushed to the side. You're focused on what you're doing. As long as you're doing, you know, what you're supposed to be doing, the, the emergency procedures and everything in mind, you know, it's very, very safe. It's safer than driving your car. It's just that when things do go wrong, which they will, they have the potential to be catastrophic. Um, so, you know, know your emergency procedures. But yeah. um, it, it really just, you know, again, clears the mind. And when you get on the ground, you know, the, those things that got pushed to the side start coming back into focus. And sometimes they get realigned. And just like walking away from a problem that you can't seem to come up with the answer, the solution until you stop thinking about it uh, sort of thing. So uh, there's some thrill, there's some adrenaline, for sure. But really, it's a clearing of the mind and uh, focusing on the moment, what you're doing, and it's very therapeutic. And as Will Smith said in his uh, YouTube video when he went skydiving, God put some of the greatest things in life on the other side of fear. So if you can get past that fear, all kinds of wonderful things open up to you. Um, so I, if you have an interest, I highly encourage it. If you don't, I don't give it another thought. Um, but it's a lot of fun, very therapeutic and I highly recommend it. Mr. Thomas, I sure do appreciate you coming on the show. It has been an absolute honor and it has been one of my more fun conversations that I've had. Well, I appreciate the invitation and I uh, appreciate your support. I hope your listeners will uh, feel likewise and, and be sure and vote. May 24th for Dave Thomas for governor. Sir. It, got, it's time, Alabama. It's time, Alabama. It is. You've got an open in, invitation on my porch anytime you want to come back, sir. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Yes, sir. Thank you much. Thank you. Big thanks to Dave Thomas for coming on to the porch. If you wish to learn more on how to support or where to find him in person, you can find all info at DaveThomasForGovernor.com. If you are new to the show and like what you hear, hit that like, subscribe, or follow button and download the episodes in our archives. If this show has been a positive addition to your life, please rate the show and leave a review. won't take you but a minute, and it really would help the show. Find us on social media by typing Porch Matters Podcast into the search bar. Word of mouth is still the best way of sharing. Pick your favorite episode and share it with at least one person this week. There are a lot of people out there that have never heard of a podcast before. I sure would appreciate it. And I'll see you next time right here on Porch Matters.